with another episode of Masterminds with Brother Shimel. And today is definitely going to be a um, a great episode. Uh, I promise you that one. Um, and um, we we've had some um, we've had some good responses from our last episode that we had with my brother, my good brother, um, Eric Munjin Bay. And and again, thank thank you for the support. Thank you for those who have subscribed, for those who are uh, continuing to support us in what we're doing to uh, spread this information and enlighten the minds out there. Um, before I begin in, uh, in bringing my esteemed um, guests on the show, and uh, I'll actually be calling them like I called in uh, Brother uh, Eric Munjin Bay. We're going to do it like that again. Um I want to start off by dedicating this show to the memory of some people who transitioned this week. Um, first and foremost, my aunt Rosa Williams, um, who passed yesterday on Friday morning. Um, she'll truly be missed, um, but she's still here with me in spirit. Um, also want to um, also in the memory of, um uh, the the mother of Carrie Alindi Ill, the Alindi Ill family. Um his brother, um his whole family, his mother transitioned again this uh, also this week. Um definitely prayers out to the family and also um last but not least um to the memory of sister Sharon Atkins Ill, the wife of my brother Dimitri Atkinsill, whose life was tragically taken this week as well. Um, just to let you know, as we always say, man is not the the body nor the soul. He's a spirit and part of a law. And of course, spirit, man cannot die. But again, we do, you know, we do cherish, you know, our interaction with those while they're on this plane. So we're going to, um, that's, the show is dedicated to their memory. Um, going on, I'm going to bring my guests on, but I want to give a, um, before I do that, let me just go ahead and read what, what we have here. Give me, give me one moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, so on this episode of Masterminds with Brother Shim L, we return with none other than renowned author, graphic artist, and metaphysical teacher, Asir Dukatiers. Yeah, Asir Dukatiers will be here. We will be discussing his graphic novel, The Dark Skull 418, as well as speaking on topics such as Who are the Magi? What does it mean to time travel? How do symbols and colors work on the mind? What is the medical, metaphysical meaning of drama, the word drama? What are the parallels between the stories of Heru, Jesus, Superman, were comic book writers influenced by more science, and much, much more? You will be hearing from one of the most influential masterminds in more science. And when I say that, you know, I always mean that. 
Um, this brother just recently did a show, uh, not a show, I'm sorry, a lecture up in New York recently with um, none other than um, Dr. Phil Valentine L., as well as Brother Panic. Uh, it was the gathering of the metaphysical masters. Um, and this brother dropped, they all dropped some deep knowledge, but I, I'm particularly because we have a seer, you know, you got to check out uh, what they do have available of him dropping knowledge on YouTube. I think you can go to Brother Rich's channel. Um, I believe that's, uh, I forget I forget the name of the channel, but all you got to do is just pull up uh, a Seer Duke of Tears gathering of the metaphysical masters um, and check that out. And again, this is kind of new because this is actually a um, graphic novel we'll be going over. Um, most of the authors that I brought in um, have put out work that are classified as nonfiction. However, you will not be disappointed. I put up the, um, the link. You can actually download this uh, PDF file and go get it, go copy it. It's a great read. Um, I've read quite a bit of it, but it's still a lot. Um, it's not a short read at all and is very detailed. Um, he drops a lot of science in this graphic novel, so don't sleep on it just because it's a graphic novel. Um, and I want to go before I um, bring my brother in um, just to give some background of him. And this is just basically off. Of, I'm just reading this, um, about the, about the author. Uh, Sia Ducatiers is a multimedia artist who started art at age five after his schooling in the streets of Brooklyn and travels abroad. He began intensive study of natural history and jurisprudence. Five years later, upon receiving his PhD in jurisprudence, he committed to the memory of his um, Temachan roots. I hope I'm saying that uh, correctly. Uh, he is consecrated a Grand Duke um, slash Sekhem of that people by the late great Empress Akwiki King Shinko. And again, my apologies if I'm mispronouncing. He has spent years applying his art to his passion, which has given him the ability to express his people's true and indigenous history. He never stopped drawing comics and developed over 500 characters and 200 stories. So the story we're going about um, going over is just one of 200. He married his royal wife, the love of his life, Selena Cordoba the Empress of 10,000 years in 2001. As Team Cordoba, Asir, and Selena also enjoyed making music together, their debut album, The Birth Record, was released in 2008 to critical acclaim. Um, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to now uh, reach out to my brother, Asir Duke of Tears. Let me give him a call.
Islam. Oh, shit, how you doing, man? How are you, bro? I'm doing good, brother. How are you? I'm good, man. You ready? I'm ready. I have you on air. Oh, Islam, Islam. Islam to everybody, man. Praise Allah. Islam. Is my brother Islam El says peace to everybody that's listening. Peace to you as well, my brother. Peace, peace. Peace to the family, Close brother. some more business. You know how it is. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, I'm glad to be on my brother. Oh, and thank you for um for being on the show. Definitely, thank you, brother. Um, I gave the people the introduction. Um, I, I went over the long, int- well, it's not a long introduction. Um, but I went over the introduction about you as a, being an author, uh, coming up in the streets of Brooklyn. Yes, sir. Um, studying on natural history, jurisprudence. Um, about your lovely wife. Um, Selena Cordoba, and um, and also mention about what you did your um, your lecture recently, the yes, gathering of the metaphysical masters, which is people are raving about. Um, uh, thank you, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So what I I always like to do, and just to, uh, for those who are new to this show, um, I like to introduce um, Moors who are authors. One of the things I like to do on the show, introduce more to our authors and relate the information that they give to our teachings um, in more science. And in particular, I like to draw parallels to um, the more Holy Quran, also affectionately known as the circle seven. So when I read your, your, um, your novel, what, what struck me was how deep you went into the sciences of the book. Yes, yes. And um and I know that you acknowledge yourself as a Moor. You you went into the Moors in detail and uh you definitely give honors to Noble Drali. If you can give I like to ask authors this question, if you can give your background story of how you came into more science, how you came into knowledge of that. But 
years later. So from there, I got knowledge of self through the nation of God of the Earths and understood, you know, the square miles of the planet Earth and the original Asiatic black man and all that stuff. And uh, a little after that, I ran into an elder who I had known through my mother. His name was Bilal Muhammad, bless the dead. And I went into his store. He had a cultural store. And he uh, had this book called 100,000 African Horses. And in that book, when it showed Western Africa, it had this word more, 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 more. It's like all over it. So I was like, well, who are the more? What's that? And then he's like, oh, you don't know what that is? And he said, well, we are more. And it just so happens that every year, me and two of my other brothers dress up in our Moorish habit and ride through the streets in Brooklyn on the horses, you know, in, in Moorish garb. You should come out tomorrow and see. So I went out the next day to see that. And uh, it literally changed my life, man. I saw these Moors dressed in total habit. I mean, like, it was like, Seeing somebody in 1492, like a horse snipe on a horse, really coming through on his thing to the point where I, you know, I'm in my Tims and, you know, my jeans and stuff. So I'm feeling like underdressed, like underwhelmed around, even walking next to them. Just seeing them in that context gave me an understanding. And then from there, he told me that, you know, there's a book called Golden Age of the Moor. So from that point on, I started to see the correlation between the nation of uh, the nation of God and herbs. And uh, the Morris Science Temple and the Nation of Islam and how all of these things basically came out of what the Prophet had laid down in the 20s and all of that. And I, as a Moorish American or as a Moor, I always saw the, the, the connection between us that binded us all more than what broke us apart. Being that Morris Science, being that the Nation of Islam, the Nation of the Herbs, these are all indigenous American, distinctly American uh, organizations based on spirituality. But because they all came from a prior root, I was always the type that, well, if this is the source of it, I'd rather be in the source than the, the byproduct. And so from that point on, I just uh, started to go heavy, heavy into uh, the understanding of the Moors to the point where uh, I got to the point where I realized in order to get the full understanding of it in terms of how it is to be a Moorish American, I definitely need to join a temple. And then once I became a car carrier member of the temple, I started to see, you know, some of the issues and started to get the historical aspect as to why some of them are in the positions they're in. And so from that point on, I chose to, you know, dedicate a large portion of my time to get a lot of this stuff consolidated in a means that we as people can actually, you know, not only benefit from it, but understand what was left for us, you know what I mean, as Moroccans born in America, and the fact that we have a distinct identity that has nothing to do really with the continent, or, you know, we have a distinct identity that's indicative to ourselves, that we don't always have to claim another continent or another nationality to feel like we are identified or be identified by and uh, that's how it's been ever since 1997 for me, you know? Indeed. Yeah, that that's that's a journey right there, brother. And you said 1997 in Brooklyn. So it's all started. Yes, Indeed, that's great. For me, that's where, that's where it kind of started for me. I had got knowledge of self every year before the nation 
nations out of hers. But like I said before then, it was more like a pseudo, maybe Pan-Africanism situation. But my people were still pagan. Like my mother and them were still Christian. You know what I'm saying? Western Christian. So it wasn't like, they wasn't trying to imbue me with all of that. But they still had a certain degree of decorum to understand that we have an identity or, you know, whatever identity was. So it wasn't until maybe 2002 then I'm coming into the crib my grandmother and I'm wearing my feathers and she look at me and she say oh you a more now I'm like what I'm like you know what this is I'm like you know what this is I've told the story before but it, it still amazes me so I was like yo you know what this is she was like yeah I know a lot of you and babies back in the day and all of that like your great grandfather this this and that I'm like so how are you raising me Christian <laughs> how are you you know what I'm saying? How are you? How are you? How are you Southern Baptist? But you sending me to a Lutheran school because the Lutheran school closer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so I'm just I'm basically just a Christian based on convenience. Like, what are y'all doing? Like, you know what I'm saying? So it just it just showed me also how even though our people are not so much, even though they'll say certain things like they're not really they're about their culture, they're about this and that. Most people just want to get along, man. Most black people, so-called black people, especially with no non-state self, no nationality, they'll believe anything just to kind of, you know, get along to go along. And um, I was never that type of person. I was never the type of person where I would take an inferior position just because it made somebody else feel more comfortable. I, I, I feel like that's that's a deep-rooted uh, pathology in melanated people. And uh, we don't practice, you know, uh, standing up for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just, you <laughs> say anything, man. Like, it's not cool. But what I saw with the Moorish thing is that as Moors, though, everything I read dealing with Moors always dealt about, what's up, Jake? It always dealt with what you couldn't do to them. You know what I'm saying? Right. When I read Negro stuff, it's always like, oh, well, you can enslave them, you can beat them, you can own them, you can do this, that. But whenever more stuff come up in history, it's always like, okay, well, you can't enslave them. You can't put them under yoke. You can't have this on it. You know what I'm saying? Indeed. So I'm like, okay, well, I'd rather be that. <laughs> right. Like, if I could choose, I'm going to choose this shit. I'm going to choose that, which is the path the least resistance. And thus far, I've seen this Negro thing, this African-American thing, this black thing. There's a lot of resistance to that. This Moorish thing. The only resistance I'm really getting is from, from people that's Asiatic that's not Moors. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Like the, the crack ain't telling me that. When your paperwork right. and, your, and your situation and how you coming in your proper person is correct, these crackers don't give you no problems, man. I've seen it. But when you come in there on some half-ass, like, oh, well, you know, this is what the paperwork say, you, you know, anything can happen to you. But to me, it's a, it's a greater allegory for life. The more you're comfortable in yourself and the more you start to be yourself and reach the level of your excellence, it's not about reaching somebody else's level. Like, I'll never be on the level of Jay-Z. And that's a good thing. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because that's not something that I would aspire or get my children to aspire to be. But the average 85 person, you know what I'm saying? Indeed. They think it's cool because they're not predicating it on anything outside of survival. But when you're a more, and you're a more American, you want to live. You know what I'm saying? And living is different than surviving. And I don't think we as original people really are understanding the difference between the two. That's true. That's true. 
and one thing you just said that you know makes so much sense and something that i've heard you talk about in the past um is that how we have to internalize you know being a more because you know i was speaking from my experience i've been in situations where you know just my character you know what i'm saying just how i how i carried myself no paperwork oh you know they just bowed down what you wanted exactly favorable reply that's right intelligent time that's right more so yeah that's right indeed and i've been checking you out let me tell you just the background story how i came across you brother um like in 2008 when i moved to north carolina uh i'm currently in north carolina and raleigh and a brother from georgia you know we was all studying up on on the moors and whatnot and he gave me a bunch of dvds one of the dvds was a three disc set of your of you it was the only one that had three discs on it i was like man how i'm gonna watch all this and it was uh, <laughs> it was you breaking down it did you was going in bro you was um breaking down about obama um, oh yeah joint. Right? yes yes right indeed that was my first introduction to you and then i think a year later another sister who um a more she told me about you she told me about your show that you had um the super yep and all of that and um yeah i've just been hearing just you know good things about you brother ever since and then when i saw you indeed brother when you did your thing up in new york this year i was like that brother i gotta reach out to him and um islam yes sir yes sir i want to get into the book um first we was dialoguing and you you one of the things you asked me was um give me your feedback and what was your favorite character and and i'm telling you without question um and y'all have to read this let, let me just give a um let the people know one of the great things that you did was you actually um provided kind of a a landscape of a lot of information um for people to digest you know you didn't just it's not just fantasy like you go you talk about historical characters actual things that go on and you you it's interwoven into the story so yes sir you give a background so one of the characters like i said is my favorite character is the sister the velvet edge um, yeah yeah man she's the truth she's the truth and um and i kept seeing the the reoccurring theme of the magi you know she's she's a magi um she was under the tutelage of the black hermit yeah we're gonna talk about that in a minute but i want to ask you um because one of the questions that we have that we're going to discuss is who are the magi so I want you just, you know, based on your study, just tell the people who exactly are the Magi and how that played into this story. Islam. Um, when I was doing the knowledge to uh, the Spanish people had what they call Three Kings Day, right? And um, Three Kings Day in some, in some Spanish cultures is even bigger than Christmas. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that's because the Three Kings represent the, well, on a metaphysical level, we're 
talking about, you know, the idea of Christ being a uh, actual physical being, right? And the three kings will represent the people that came to see him at the manger. But if we look at the allegorical aspect of it, of Christ rep- representing the awakening of the pineal organ, right? Then the three kings would be the, the brain responses that help trigger that, which would be the activation of the pituitary hypothalamus and and pineal organ, right? Working in concert to then see the Christ or activate the Christ that's in the manger, the manger being the body, the Christ being the, the consciousness that's activated when one reaches the level of truly accepting self, both the higher and the lower aspect. So the Magi going back to the physical world now represented those ancient moors who were a part of what they call the high priesthood of Anu. Anu in pre-dynastic Kemet or ancient Kemet would represent the the what we call Anpu, which would be the the uh, symbol of carbon, I melanin, that was codified in the visage or the effigy of a god they call Anubis. Right? So when you talk about the Dogon, that's why you have the people they call the Dogon who wind up in so-called Western Africa, right? And then they basically would follow the the the, um, the phases of Sirius as well as uh, Canis Major. Canis being another name for canine, right? Which represents dog, which reverse then represents God, which then represents, like I said, on the on the metaphysical tip, representing melanin or the activation of carbon in the physical sense, right? So the Magi were those high priests of Anu or Anu that went to different aspects of the empire and basically helped set up situations for people to hold on to that ancient aspect of knowledge that predated the religious aspect of stuff. So the religious application of knowledge became the physical or the body or the ego's way of anchoring the soul to the physical world. Whereas the ancient people, the super ancient people, the Magi, i.e. the Moors or the, the, the ancient peoples, understood that life, time, all of these things were all basically one and the same. Like what we think, like when we say galaxy and we say dimension, we think we're talking about two different things, but they're really the same thing. You know what I mean? A galaxy is a dimension. A dimension in a galaxy is a universe. See what I'm saying? But what happens is we grew up in a Western situation that automatically separates the spirit from the body, from the mind. But we come from a culture where they all work simultaneously. So the Magi were those people who represented the high priesthood of any sort of ancient society that was able to couch the true elements of the society in whatever the religious text or religious dogma or whatever was going on in that society at the time. You know what I'm saying? So when the three kings came to see Christ in the manger, they basically was following an astrological, if you look at the Christian story, they're following an allegorical story of where the king would be born. But if we now take it into an allegorical story now, we're really talking about us finding the king or the queen within ourselves and activating that with three kings that we were born with, which again is the pituitary hypothalamus and pineal. So, I wanted to write or use the characters in the book 
to represent the archetypes that we usually give and give the the representation of to something else. You know what I'm saying? So the Velvet Edge in the book really represents the feminine nature positively activated. You know what I mean? In which now the feminine, because in every universe that ever will could exist, there's a womb. You know what I'm saying? So that means in every universe that can or will exist, there's a feminine principle. You know what I mean? Just like there's a male principle. So in the book, the Velvet Edge really is just a physical representation or, or is an allegorical representation of how what we understand magic to be is actually a, a form of the sympathetic nervous system. You know what I mean? It's the thing within us that we as men would might refer to as feminine, but it's the aspect of us that is about life and the preservation of that. You know what I mean? From an intuitive basis as opposed to a strict logical basis. Indeed. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So it it is um it's transformation in a sense. Yes. yes. So it's transformation yes. in the, in that aspect. And um yes. I wanna um just give you a because what I want to do is give some parallels. I'm going to be reading um, some sections of your book, but I also going to read um, some sections of the Circle Seven. Um, so I want to, because yeah, I think this will go right in line with what you just follow up to what you just said. So when we look at Chapter 19 of the Circle Seven, right, and it speaks about the Magian priest. So there's a section that says um, in 22, um, the Magian priests were in the silence of. Uh, Persepolis and Casper and the Magian masters who were first to yep. greet the child of promise in the shepherd's home in Bethlehem were, were with the priest. Yep. So you, you broke that down about the um, the three wise men. And then it gets down to the 27. It says the problem of the age has been solved. A son of man has risen from the dead, has shown that human flesh can be transformed into flesh divine. Before the eyes of men, this flesh in which I come to you was changed with speed of light from human flesh. And so I am the message that I bring to you. So Islam. Islam. Now, you mentioned something um, very key about those those um, those glands. So in reference to transforming um, the speed of light, um, human flesh or flesh divine, how does how does and, and you, I know you touched on it, but can you elaborate more in the transformation of flesh to flesh divine in that way? Right. Yes. Like when you or anybody, I can't necessarily speak to other cultures, other nationalities, but in terms of being a more more American Asiatic, that's a specific way of being. You know what I mean? It's like it's kind of like people smoke weed, like. People who smoke weed, like, you know what it's like to, like, be ready to roll and ready to get your thing and then don't have no lighter. You know what I mean? Then it's like the look for the lighter. So, like, every cultural idiom has a certain thing that's only really uh, uh, recognized by other people in that cipher. You know what I'm saying? So, like, being a Moorish American... It's like being in a constant situation of people of, it's almost like always being around people and they're always amazed at how you carry yourself. 
you know what I'm saying? It's like right. you're always in a situation of having to basically explain to them and show them how ignorant they are based on the questions they ask you, just based on you wearing a fed. Like one of the earliest, one of the most asked questions of Moors when they see you in habit is what? Oh, you're a Shriner? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? But most of the people who ask you that questions know that you're not or cop. They know that you're not because you've never seen a Shriner outside of his head. <laughs> Like, you don't see that. Right. So if you know, and also, you know I'm not a Shriner because I don't have nothing written on my head. You exactly. know what I'm saying? So when you're asking me that, that's not really a question. That's really a, a password. Mm. You understand know what I'm saying? Because really, they're trying to see how you're going to respond. So, my, so when they say, oh, that's a nice hat, then the necessary response on my end is, as a Moorish American or more of the empire is, oh, thank you. Right? I'm gonna accept the compliment, but I'm a, but I'm gonna define the compliment. So thank you, but it's not a hat. See. Yeah. So then the next question from there now becomes what? Oh, I'm sorry. What is it? See what I'm saying? Exactly. Now they already know. The fact that you said it's not a hat, they already know that you're not whatever it is they thought you was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. Because Muslims don't wear this stuff. Let's yes. keep it real. Muslims no. don't wear no feathers. Arabs don't wear no feathers. You know what I'm saying? That's like, true. they don't do that. None of them do that. Matter of fact, Arabs don't even use the symbol with a crescent and the star to represent Islam. Mm. That's not even a symbol. Right. They don't acknowledge that as a symbol for Islam. Because to do that, they would have to, what? Acknowledge the woman, right? And they ain't going to do that. Yes. <laughs> right? Because they want to create, they want to continue their matriarchal homogeny over the womb, because if they can control the womb of their woman, they control the world. Right? Because mm-hmm. as much as much as as much as Muslim women may not like wearing hijab and all of that, they still giving birth to niggas that's that's willing to throw acid in women's face to keep them doing that. So they're supporting their repression. So why should I want to free them from something that actually makes them feel free? That's that's the difference between being a Moor or a Muslim and then being a, a, anything else. Because as a more, I believe in freedom so much that it stands that if your version of freedom calls for you to be enslaved, then I'm going to support that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Whereas Negroes, African-Americans, feel like everybody should be free. But really what they're saying is that the people that should be free is the people that I like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Exactly. That identify with what I'm about. And and that's what I'm saying. Even with the with the understanding of of being yourself, we as Moors existed before the advent of the religion of Islam. Indeed, we are from the family of the Prophet. You know what I'm saying? Right. Whether it be the Prophet Muhammad, the Prophet Noble Ali, whatever you want to say, we from the actual family. We are what was called in the Quran the Bayat Il, the people of the house. You know what I'm saying? We 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 are, we are from the. It's a difference when your father owned the business, then you just going to get in a job. You know what I'm saying? In the business, our father set the business up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. So we're beneficiary of that, which is why we, as Allah, as Bays and Eels, fulfill the will of Allah. Again, the difference between a Muslim and a Muslim. If you remember us growing up in America, everybody was Muslims up until like Beirut, up until the late 80s. Then they started calling y'all Muslims. Right. It's true. But now everybody forget that. 
had, when I was coming up, you had all these rappers talking about how great Trump was, how, how much money they, how they balling just like Trump. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. It was all Trump down and Trump this and Trump that. Now this nigga president. Now it's all about F Trump. Which I was just digging this thing up. Right. <laughs> in the 90s, in the early 2000s. Y'all niggas are trying to petition him to get on his show. For him to fire y'all. <laughs> now y'all got a problem with him being president. See what I'm saying? That's right. what I mean. That's the problem with, with Negroes and blacks and colors. Like, they fickle. They don't stand. They, not, they don't stand on nothing. Everything they stand on is based on sand. You know what I'm saying? Everything they stand on is based on what somebody else told them they are. We as Morris Americans, we stand on what we are. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not trying to be nobody else. I ain't trying to be no Arab. I don't got to speak no 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 Arabic to be Islamic. Right. Who told y'all that? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Yep. That's real. In, in us being the original man and woman, we we originated all of it anyway. So All of that anyway. <laughs> that's why, am I fighting, why am I fighting to be in the bathroom? When I own the whole mansion, they got niggas in the bathroom and telling the people in the bathroom that the bathroom is the mansion. <laughs> Meanwhile, they lock you in the bathroom, then they run in, in the mansion, and they don't have no knowledge, no money to fix it up or whatever, but they just running around it while you locked in the bathroom. Like, that's not how it's supposed to be, man. <laughs> the coffin didn't just come. When Toussaint Leobertour came and freed Haiti, he didn't just free Haiti. He freed the whole thing, man. He right. freed the island. He freed South America. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. He freed Louisiana. You think what I'm saying? Like when wars do shit, we do shit for real. Like we do it big. How y'all doing? All right. We do it big, man. We don't just be thinking for self. That's the that's the modern Western way of understanding things. Toussaint did just free the people in Haiti and leave the people of the Dominican Republic enslaved. You don't do that. But the people of the Dominican Republic today. With the Haitians being slaves, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because yeah. they think they Spanish. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's a, it's a it's a maladapted way where they believe that being white or being light skinned is better. Mm. This is an intrinsic thing in the fabric of modern reality that has been inundated since the times of the British British East India Company. I don't give a damn what you tell me about an Indian. If I'm speaking to an Indian, I'd rather speak to a Dravidian. I'd rather speak to somebody that know what it's like to be black than somebody who's just as black as me, but because they are treated like they like, you see what I'm saying? Right. They, they think they're different. You understand those people are so racist over there, they would tie grooms to the back of, of dark-skinned people's bodies. So that way when they walked, the groom would erase their footprints on the sand, on the, on the earth. You understand? And niggas talking to me about Gandhi. You know how racist Gandhi was? Yeah, yeah. Gandhi hated black people. Not to mention he was a pederast that used to test his sexuality by sleeping naked in the bed with his sister. <laughs> and if he and if he could wake up without feeling sexual urge to touch her, then he felt he was doing something. This is a nigga that <laughs> this nigga Martin Luther King, Michael King, patterned himself after. And they said the only thing a black woman could do with Martin Luther King is tell him where the white woman was at. <laughs> this, this, this is this is the level of, of, of depravity that our people have been under all these years because we we brought reading books like Roots and shit and and these books and stuff that really wasn't even written by black men. Right. Roots was written by by a Jew named Max Fisher. Look it up. 
getting the copyright money off of that. Exactly. That's real. That was Harry died with that Taylor. Look at Cosby. Let's do it again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When they had the pheasants. Uptown right. Night. Right. Yep. When they were trying to make money for the temple. Yep. You see? That's right. And this is what I'm saying, more Like, it's no coincidence that one of the last moors that the moors fought against uh, uh, Charlemagne and them was the Battle of Poitiers and then Sidney Poitiers. See mm. what I'm saying? Right. Wind up playing a moor and all that. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. Our people suffer from lack of knowledge, man. That's really it. Indeed. We get our stuff together, it's over. When we go back to the throne, everybody else is going back to the cave. Mm. So right. they're trying to hold on to this as long as possible, boy. That's why, like, when I like with my book, man, I felt, you know, Sean Bell thing, the Kimo Rice thing, the, the Trayvon Martin thing, if that was even real and all that. All of these murders, like it got to a point where I really felt like like I was suffering from like PTSD, like like constant agita. Like when is it gonna happen to me? You know? And I said, you know what? I lost I'm not supposed to live in fear. So I gotta channel this. So I said, Well, wouldn't it be dope if there was like a, a actual hero that would go out there and pop over these crooked cops? And pop these people. What if they were? And then that's where the Midnight Man came from. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? In the, in the Dark Coat Boy thing, he came from that. Because the Punisher, you know, I grew up liking the Punisher and the Marvel comics and stuff, and he was cool and all that. They even did a Punisher book where he actually became a black man. Where they actually turned him into a black man. Okay. I didn't even and then you know what happened as soon as he became black? But they killed him? No, he got caught up in a traffic stop and they Roddy changed him. <laughs> <laughs> Real um, talk, boys, but it's a comic book. Real talk. Man. Soon as he became a punisher. Now remember, he the white man punisher, Frank Castle, killing people, impunity, no problem. Right. Soon as that nigga became <laughs> melanated, he got stopped by the police and they Roddy Kingdom the The first issue. You dig? Like That's this is what I'm saying. So it's not like they don't know. The same people who are writing these comic books and writing these superhero movies are the same people going to these sexual rituals, going to these to these orgies, go who are racist, who grew up in Nazi uh, uh, ritualistic programming, you know. Right. But because you know they'll they'll make a Black Panther movie, you think it's different. Yeah. No. 
Nobody that acted in Black Panther made more than a million dollars. How about that? And that's the biggest movie that Marvel has ever made. Wow. Nobody that was on the cast made more than a million dollars more. Are you telling me these niggas ain't slaves? Oh, man. Full time. <laughs> Full time. Yeah, man. Only thing a white woman could, only thing a black woman could do is tell her, is tell Michael B. Jordan where the white women at. Wow. But my thing is, why do black people, pseudo black people, or so called black people, why do they think that these people in Hollywood is actually anything other than what they are? Right. Actors. Right. Liars. That's what they are. <laughs> like, they're li- an actor is a liar. Period. Right. It has nothing to do with them being, you know, now in their own and personal lives, you know? That's something different. But I don't believe anything I see on TV. Indeed. Indeed. Now, more. I want to ask you real quick, because this is pertaining to your book. There's a part. Now, let me ask you before this. What year did you write that book? The Dark Skull. For uh, That's a good question. Uh, it took me about five years to write, but I actually printed it, I believe, in 2013, 2012, in between 2012 and 2014. Okay. And the reason why I'm yeah, asking earlier. it is because you dropped the jewel. Earlier. Earlier? Okay. Indeed. Because mm-hmm. you dropped the jewel. it was like right after Obama became president, so it might be like 2009, anywhere between 2008 and 2014, so I put it out. Got it. 2008, excuse me, 2008 and 2000. I gotta really do the nonsense that again. Indeed. But it was right when he became president. Right at that time. Okay. Because I wanted to ask you a couple of things that what you dropped early in the book is um, you spoke you spoke about a character called Victor Cascade. Yes. Right. And yes. in there, you spoke about his upcoming movie. He was a director, film director, right. where. It was about the secret Mars colony. Yeah. It's starring. Yeah, and, they talk, and they talk about doing it now. You heard what yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and then you said he it was, it was starring um, a celebrity accused of sexual yeah, yeah, molestation. Like or some shit. Yeah, some shit like that. Yeah. And it's like, yo, like you was kind of like ahead of time with that because now we see what's going on in Hollywood. With the whole right. Harvey Weinstein joint, I was like, "Yo, yo, so much stuff in that book turned out to actually happen that I almost kind of like quieted that side of it because it almost kind of freaked me out to certain degree. Because I wrote, the, I wrote the reason why it's so long too is because I wrote it from the understanding that I might never ever be able to write another one. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I was like." Let me just drop as much stuff as I can in this joint, you know, as possible. Because it was so, you know, I strive to imbue it with the understanding that there's things in it that I felt like was going to happen, but I couldn't necessarily prove. So I wanted to write it in the context of what I knew it could be. So that way, if it did happen, people would be like, yo, I, I read about that. You know right. what I'm saying? You- and, and, Again, man, it did. A lot of it did. A lot of it had. You know? Yeah, bro. You did that. You definitely did that. Like, you was spot on with... Thank you, man. Yes, sir. With a lot of things that you talked on. Um, and you mentioned about um, Obama. 
the the passage I want to read here, it and correct me if I, well, I guess people can can find out the Harvey the the Harold character, the Harold character is that a parallel of Obama? Because that's what I got yeah. on it. Okay, okay, yeah, that's a parallel to Barry. Okay, gotcha. And then the wife, and then the wife was like Michelle. Indeed, indeed. Okay, right. yeah, because she was the warrior, right? She was the right. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Exactly. Kind of how she was perceived by everybody else. Like they talked mad shit about um, the most they said about her was like, oh, she could be a man, and she kind of looked like mm -hmm. a monkey. Other than that, they really didn't kind of mess with her like that. And even then, when they said that monkey stuff, it was very, it was real, like, like niggas got acting for that, so they kind of deaded it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Quick, fast, <laughs> and uh. -huh. There's a section that I want to read from your book, um, brother, and this is on page 344. So, so I'm going to start towards the end and go into um, 345. Um, this is where Harold is having that dialogue and interacting um, with the different ancestors. It says, right. at that moment, the diner door opened and three men walked in. Once they seated themselves in a booth, the door shut on his own. As Harold looked around, he also noticed a man and woman sitting in a shadowy booth by the kitchen. Then when he looked back over at the booth, he could clearly see the men were the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, and Khalid Muhammad. Yeah. Uh, um, you need anything else? Said the Latin, asked the Latin cook, and then it goes on to the next page. As Harold turned to reply to the cook, he realized it was um, Shay um, Guevara. Um, Shay Guevara, yeah. yeah. No, thank you. The half human Anubis tapped Harold on the shoulder. When he turned, he was frozen by his gaze. Quote, I know you're bugging out right now, but it gets even iller, homie. Anubis said in an ancient sounding language that Harold could hardly hear as English. The man on his right tapped him three times. He turned and recognized him as Noble Drali, who said, you are not really here. Your soul is traveling at high velocities and your superconscious has constructed an environment to house your mind on the journey. You are becoming a strand in the web of time a number in the clock of destiny. The enormous status you held in your waking life attracted images from the species mind pattern that spawned you. You are bound by the limitations of your own choices. Choices are the ripples in the oceans of time. So I want you to expound on that, brother. When, when this guy, when they decided they was gonna make this guy president, I remember when I first saw that address that he did at the Democratic National Convention, when I looked at that nigga, I was like, this is the nigga they're going to try to pump as, like, the new black messiah. Like, he kind of come off, like, Malcolm a little bit, you know, workable, like, king and stuff or like that, but then he's a little street from Chicago, you know what I mean? And then he got a Muslim name. I'm like, who is this nigga? The next thing I know, he became the biggest thing for Christ's bread. So that's when I did the knowledge, like, so once they decided to make him president, I already kind of felt like the fix had been in and they were going to use him as the 
skill to lull everybody back to sleep. You know, especially melanated people. But I also knew he wasn't really going to do stuff for melanated people. Because I've never seen any so-called position of power, black man of power, ever do that other than the prophet. <laughs> other than Marcus Garvey. Right. Uh, other than maybe Khalid Muhammad. You know what I mean? Other mm-hmm. than Elijah Muhammad. So I thought, so at the time now, this is when all the conspiracy theories started coming out around the guy, you know? And I had been doing it nonsense from the Democratic Convention, and I had known from them, like, his whole background story sound like a, a, a CIA uh, novel, you know what I mean? Like, he's an African father with the white wife, but then the white African father was also connected to Patrice Lumumba, you know what I'm saying? And then he wound up dead, and then the wife wound up marrying some Indonesian government official. Like, it just seemed like a op. Yeah. It just seemed like a op from the door. So then when I started looking at Michelle, then it was like, okay, well, she was actually part of the Robinson family, and then her brother is like the head Hebrew. He's a part of like a some sort of, he runs like the Hebrew congregation out there, whatever, whatever. So I just felt like these dudes was already chosen for this. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, what would it be like to be in a situation for somebody like that? So at the time, there was the book was also based on conspiracies. You know what I'm saying? And because the conscious community was really exposing a lot of these conspiracies, I thought, what would it be like to live in a world where all of these conspiracy theories was true? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Where every conspiracy theory you could ever think of actually turned out to be true. What world, what would it be like to live in a world like that? So in that, I figured, well, being that he, his character, I will not want to call him Obama, but I'll call him Harold. You know what I mean? In a sense that, I wanted to explore what it would be like for somebody in that position to maybe want to actually do things for black people, but knowing based on how he was raised in the system, knowing he can't do that. And then what would it be like for somebody like that to be confronted by the ancestors that he's talking about representing? So the diner, the reason why it took place in a diner was because, uh, remember Heath Ledger? Yes. Remember that guy? Yeah. Okay, the guy played the Joker. Yep. Okay. Right? The day that, the night that dude died, I don't know. Listeners might find this funny. But the night he died, I had a dream about that guy. And in the dream, I walked in the diner, and this nigga was at the diner with his head down. Right? And when I walked to the, to the front of the diner, he lifted his head up and was looking at me. And I was like, oh, shit, you, he's ledger. In the dream, now, this is a dream I had, right? right? And he was like, yeah. But then he was real angry, being angry, like really upset in the dream. And all he kept saying was like, it wasn't supposed to be like that. I didn't do it, right? So then I realized in the dream, oh, you dead. And then mm. in the dream, I start putting that nigga on. <laughs> I was like, oh, they sacrificed you, nigga. You don't know? You ain't seen Michael Clayton? They hit you with the pills?
to me is what happened with the Heath Ledger thing. In a sense that I would I wonder like what would be what it's like to somebody like Obama. What would it be like for somebody like Obama to know you live in style? You know that you working against your people at every instance, where everybody around you that look like you feel like you helping them out. What would it be like to be confronted now with the real ancestors who know that you full of shit? Right. <laughs> how would he react then? And that's how that scene came up. Originally, I wasn't going to put the prophet in it because I didn't want to make it that literal. But then I was like, you know what, man? I may ne- again, I may never get a chance to write a book again. Right. So, you know, the hell with it. See what happens. Indeed, I, I like the fact that you had, um, you had him actually make that statement because mm-hmm. that was so profound that he would be the one to actually explain. You know, what I'm saying just yes. his, his actual existence. Yes. <laughs> yeah, man. That's I'm glad you seen it like that because that's how it was because he because they was treating. Obama like he was the prophet. Wow. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's like true. they was really worshiping him. Like he was, you know, gonna, you know, part the Red Sea and bring all the Negroes to the White House and we was all gonna live together in peace and you know that wasn't gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Indeed. Like it was too good to be true. Right. So I wanted to, you know, just like with like I said with the Midnight Man, like I wanted to be able to get back at these guys. So what's a way to be able to do it without, you know, losing my physical freedom in the physical world? Well, inspire. You know what I mean? Right. Like, okay, well, if Stan Lee is going to base Malcolm X and Martin Luther King on Professor X and Magneto, then I'm going to do the same thing. Indeed. No, we need a hero whose target is police. We need a hero that's target them. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. We need a real Punisher. We need something like that. And then what happens in the book is he winds up becoming the first actual uh, official supervillain. Because any black man that would target police, right. you know what I'm saying, would is a be villain. considered a supervillain. He would be on the level of a Dr. Dome or, you know what I'm saying, or a Lex Luthor or something like that. You know? That's real. Yeah, that's real. So I feel like in some reality, it's going down like that. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Because enough people will read it and make it real in a subconscious to create a universe where that's a potential reality to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, as many times I've grown up watching these niggas create different realities, why every other alternate reality the Nazis always win? Or the Confederacy, <laughs> the Confederacy right. of the United States win and then everybody else is a, is a, is a subject. Like, nah, man. That can't be the only reality, alternate reality that exists. It can't always be the crackers at the top, man. I'm sorry. Right. Right. Yeah, man. That that's so true. And uh and you said something about the yeah, the subconscious mind. I want to ask you that question, but before I do that, um mm-hmm. 23 Cold Case was on the chat. He asked the question, is there a short mm-hmm. film in the works? Brother, I see. Inshallah, man. That's what I'm working on right now. I'm working on uh, actually, I'm working on putting out a a because uh, we're almost in the 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 twelfth, what either the tenth or the twelfth anniversary year of it coming out. You know, so wow. I created such a cult following that I would like to put it back out 
with a uh, in like a colored format. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then break it up into three different books. And then uh, analogous to that, do a uh, 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 like an animated movie. Oh, that'd Maybe be dope. Get it on Netflix or something like that, and then place it out like a series. Right. So that way we could really do it in, you know what I mean, and, and really get to the root of it. I just feel like a lot of people, networks and stuff might be scared. Like, I, funny story, Jeanette Kahn from D.C., right, when I first was about to put the book out, I had a meeting where, and she was talking to me about it, and I was showing the characters and talking the story. And then when she read one of the characters, she was like, wait, so this character is a reptilian? This is how she said it. Like, she couldn't even mouth the word. That's how I knew she was one. That's how she was one fan because she couldn't even say it. And I was like, yeah, you know, one of them is from a reptilian type of race or whatever. Now, this is the chick that created that basically owned the rights to Superman. Yes, oh, okay. So she was like, "Well, that that might be hard." You know, the characters are so exotic looking. This how she said. She said they're so exotic looking, and they're so uh, ethnic. <laughs> I say, "Yeah, that's the shit now." This, I'm literally talking out like I'm talking to you. I say, "Yeah, that's the shit now." You don't know? I said, yeah. I said, um, in Earth society, y'all got a black Superman. So what's the problem?" <laughs> she was like, "Oh, well." No, it's not really that. It's it's just the fact, like, I would wonder, like, how we would do it because the genre, the characters look so, you know, like I've never seen them like that. I said, that should make it more marketable, you know? I said, but y'all already living in Morris culture. I said, you know Superman is a more. I said, you know he's from the house of L. And I don't know about you, but there's no Caucasian people named L. <laughs> now, I'm in the D.C., Headquarters talking to this chick in her private office, more like real talk. Talking about because I feel like she's not gonna help me no way. So why am I here trying to like make it like she let she gonna open it up for me? Let me say what I want to say. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I'm like, you know what? Whatever. So I say, yeah. I said, well, Superman from the House of Ill and the Ills or the Elves, those are Moors. I say he even wears the Moroccan flag on his back <laughs> as a cape. <laughs> If you have seen this crap, if you have seen this dick, man, she was like, you know, I never thought of it that way. I said, yeah, most people don't, you know, <laughs> they, they most, most of them don't. I said, but in the end, you know, I'm just trying to put it out for people to look like me. I said, because not every superhero can be, not every superhero that's melanated can be subordinate to Superman, you know, <laughs> just so you know, we're in a different time now, you know, yeah. so needless to say, Nothing came from that, but I didn't expect it to. But I was thankful for the meeting. So at least she know not every black so-called cartoonist or artist or whatever is going to do, do the step and fetch it thing. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you need to know that some of us do know our history and know that there's, you can't have Kal-El without a Moorish empire. I'm sorry. Right. You can't have, you know what I'm saying, Zara L without associated that with the Moors, especially if the nigga's wearing a Moorish flag on his back. I'm sorry. Right. It's just what it is, man. Indeed. Every superhero that they have created is based on something 
out of our culture's mythology. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like everything. Right. Right. To the point is, we don't even go to the movies anymore unless there's a superhero in it. Well, what's up with that? <laughs> so, real talk. What was the last movie you saw that had no superhero in it? In the movies? Can't think of it. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to spend more money on a drama. Like, who's going to do that? I'm not going to spend $15 and sit there and watch a drama. I'm not going to spend, you know what I mean, $20 on a romantic comedy. Like, that's what Redbox and shit is for. Yeah. Like if a if a regular person that's not a moral person to me as black, I'm not gonna 
such a stickler to be like, oh, well, you can't call me that, this, 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 and that. I'm not going to do that. But when it comes to that court, <laughs> when it comes to that police, I'm not identifying with that. Right. Exactly. Because according to the law, I can't be black if I'm North African, if I'm a Moor. Right. I can't be. <laughs> no way. According to them. Yeah. That's right. That's that's right there is you basically giving false identification right there. That's all the Thank you, Ma. You might as well call yourself a monkey. <laughs> you might as well do that. That's what they're gonna and call again, you. this is not to diss people who identify with calling themselves black. Because I know what that means. Right. But don't get mad when that cracker comes and apply the legal meaning to that to keep you locked up. Yeah. That ain't got nothing to do with me. These blacks are slaves out of their own mouth. It ain't got nothing to even do with the Caucasian no more. Mm. This is what they say they are. They want to admit to that. They want to sign on to that. That's why I wanted to also write a book that actually projected us, our people, in the future. Right. Yeah. As a people. As a united people. Together. You don't see that. When you see future movies and shit, it'd be like one black, like like the Star Wars. It'd be like one black man and like 50 million white people and aliens. You know what I'm saying? Like, where's yeah. the race of black people at? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, man. And it's serious. And, and I noticed you went in, because you talked earlier about Kyle, and I noticed that you have a whole race called the, the Muakael race. The Muakael. Yes, right. yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right, bro. Yeah, indeed. That's, right. That's powerful right there. The story there. with that is that came from a, a story I uh read with Jimi Hendrix. Mm. And Jimi Hendrix said that at a point when he reached almost like the height of his success, he was practicing in Ladyland one night and was playing these chords at such a frequency that it it incarnated these beings. And these beings, they call themselves Milwaukee Elves. Wow. <laughs> and they existed on a level of frequency that was outside of this dimension. And that he was able to reach them whenever he got to that level. But to do that, he would have to do a lot of what he felt. He had to do a lot of like, like LSD and shit to get to that point. And then he would invoke the frequency and then he would either come there or they would come to him. So he would go to where they were from or they would come to where he was from. And he said they would give him keys as to how to open up stuff. That's why he was so with the transcendentalism stuff. Right. Because he was going all the way up. So when the crackups found that he was actually dealing with extraterrestrials, that's when they had to put the hit in. And that's when he was gone. Right, right. Yeah, that's... Bear witness people, people who could bear witness to this, there was these two twins that used to play with him. They used to call the ghetto fighters when he was coming back to the hood. And uh, I, they, I had met them through my godbrothers who went over from, and uh, they, they uh, built on it too. So I was like, wow, that was dope. And it was all, and it would explain our connection to music, yeah. how we're able to vibrationally access points like that through the, through the, uh, through the symmetry of the sound and all that. So I was like, okay, well, this will, this is like an aspect of. To me, the Milwaukeeers represent the Moorish Americans or the Moors on the astral plane. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're waiting for us to raise the vibration up enough so that way they can open up the gateway and come and do and help us out. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that also, the Mark Hills, for that 
by itself <clears throat> that we have direct access to so long as we are being ourselves to access it. You know what I'm saying? Indeed. That's why Mike Shine was able to, in a book, there's a character called Mr. Mike Shine, and he was able to, he's a rapper. Right. And he's able to, uh, whatever he rap about in the, in the, in the magic mic come true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, indeed. That that's yeah, that's dope right there. That's that's dope. Yeah. yeah. He's like our version of the Green Lantern. Right. You know Using I mean? the mic. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Right, because I tried to pattern each character as an archetype of something people already familiar with. Mm-hmm. So like Supreme Magnetic, that's SM, so that's like Superman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Velvet Edge, that's like Doctor Strange. You know what I mean? Um my shine's like Green Lantern. plays it within the mind how we think and i want to um ask you because i know there's a lot of symbolism in this in this book um yes sir and even you know you you explored about the colors like i said velvet um yes velvet edge and i'm gonna ask you about black herman in a moment but what how do symbols and Colors play on the mind because even in the circle seven, even in more science, we deal with the se- the seven. Um, you know, our Morse flag is a red flag with a green five pointed star in the center. So these all trigger certain things. They all have significance. So how do these colors 
being that we came up growing and watching co comics, I mean, reading comics because the colors are so vivid. That's how we as youth identify with a lot of things. How do they work on the mind? Yeah. And so 
So this is what I'm saying. Like when they working together, same thing with Captain America. He's red, white, and blue, but he's specifically red and blue because it's the DNA and the RNA when they work together is what creates the individual. Mm-hmm. See what I'm saying? It's the DNA coming together with the RNA that creates the hemoglobin, the actual plasma that creates life. Right. So for all of us that exist here, like we we are human beings. Me and you as Asiatic beings with melanin in us, we are total humans. Caucasian people, for instance, anybody with an RH factor in their blood is dealing with Reese's non-human monkey. DNA. Recess monkey, yes. non-human DNA, Neanderthal. Just because the Neanderthal's brains and skulls were bigger don't mean that their brains worked. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So you got some crackers trying to put it out that if you got RH, the new shit is they put it out with the RH DNA and you that you somehow smarter than a regular person when really it's the reverse. Exactly. Exactly. So all of this color frequency, so we're talking about color frequency, we're talking about chakra frequency, we're talking about the Kabbalah, you know what I'm saying? And all of these things come into play in the origin stories of the characters, come into play with the actual structure of the character. Like when I build a character, I don't build it from the perspective of like, of like, um, fantasy like i approach it as if the person was actually real you know what i mean like like a real person yeah so that way when i write the person and you read it you're reading it from the perspective of this person that's why my child when you read him he don't sound like velvet edge and velvet edge don't talk like the midnight man you know what i mean like I, i like to write characters from a perspective like they're individuals so even if you don't like the book you might like this character <laughs> you know what i mean right. how this character talked was symbolic to something that reminded you of that or maybe you would like to be like that like with all of the cop killings and stuff that we see every day on tv or whatever we all suffer from ptsd with that we all suffer from post-traumatic stress syndrome from seeing our brothers and sisters murdered every day by police for no reason Nobody's talking about the psychological effects that that has on us every day, and we're supposed to just walk around like it's all good, like like it's like it's okay, like it's supposed to be like this. So what they're saying is that my life don't mean nothing. Indeed. So, so where's the where? How are we going to be empowered? How am I going to empower my son? How am I going to empower the children? We got to show them people that's not scared to stand up for what they said, even if they don't see that in real life. How is it the only person in mainstream media right now banging on Trump or speaking up with Trump is Maxine Waters? Mm. Come on now. Yeah. Come on now. And you got Negroes coming up against her. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not no and I'm and uh, don't get it twisted. I'm not no Maxine Waters fan. Like I, I'm from the eighties, the nineties, and eighties and all that. So I remember she tried to extort Tupac and them trying to get a record label out the deal when they was protesting the, the CDs. Remember that? Yeah, I remember that. Right. But if the elder sister, whether she bully or not, if she can be strong enough to bang on this devil, then we should be strong enough to back her up. Right. Yeah. But no. But no. But these niggas want to get along more than they want to get. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. You Negroes want to go along. That's why I tell people enjoy the movie. Black Panther was a celebration. That was wonderful. That was the 
e- almost the, the epoch of the of the age because it showed us in a position as to not only how we got here but what potentially we could get. So I'll go see Black Panther quicker than I'll see Birth of a Nation any day. Right, right, yeah. Any day. It ain't got nothing to do with Jews or black people, whatever. I'm tired of seeing niggas as slaves, period. Exactly. So if a cracker make a movie where I'm, where I'm fresh off these, these crackers behind and there's a king, black king in it, guess, guess which movie I'm going to go see? I'm going to go see that before I go see Superfly. Right, real <laughs> talk. Because I've seen that. See, I don't live that. How about that? <laughs> I done grown up in the hood, man. I grew up in the crack era. I know what that's about already. I need to know about what it's like to run a government, what it's like to have your own country without no crackers in it. Like, that's what I need to see. Right. So if these Jews is going to give me that, guess what? <laughs> I'm going to go see that, right? And then use the inspiration to then do my own. Indeed. Indeed. That's what... That's what... And that's what um, movies, in a lot of ways, what they have done and are supposed to do. Everybody, anyone, like we grew up in the 80s, everyone will tell you, yo, uh, when they started their, their drug reign, yo, Scarface yep. was my movie, son. Remember that? Remember <laughs> that? To this day, these Negroes still acting like Scarface. Yeah. Still. Yep. You ask Patino about Scarface, he don't even want to talk about this shit. Nope. See what I'm saying? Like, Negroes is stuck in the past, man. They stuck in an outmoded form of it. Look, the new niggas today is the white boys and the 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 uh, breakdancing French people. Like, those are the new <laughs> Negroes today. Those, the niggas that's keeping hip-hop alive today is these Swedish niggas and the rest of these people doing whatever. This music today got me to the point, I don't even listen to music. I don't, this music Real that talk. they play today make me not want to listen to music at all. Right. right. So I find myself having to break out of that and listen to stuff that I used to like. Right. Yeah. You know, or it's even put me in a position to be like, you know what? Because like with the book, what I did was I did a soundtrack to the book. Because in the book, I talk about how Mike Shine was a part of this group called the um, Concrete Evidence. It was like uh, Public Enemy. Yeah. And what wind up happening was when you were hooked up with the character Supreme Magnetic, you put all of that energy into doing a tape called the DS418 mixtape. So what I did was make the mixtape that, that me and the Queen recorded, basically the soundtrack to the mixtape spoken about in the book. Oh, okay, that's dope. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So this way, it's like cross-marketing, number one, but number two, a way to bridge the sonic part of it to that. Right. And creating a way for us to be able to take back control of it. And plus, I don't know anybody ever did a soundtrack to a book. So I did it like that. That's why I called it a comic book novel and not a graphic novel. Okay. You know what I mean? Indeed. Because I'm more about the literacy with it, too. That's why, you know, this is like pictures sprinkled in it, but it's mostly text. Right. Because I found out that our people don't read. We don't even read books no more on that. Yeah. We don't even read. That's real. Niggas, niggas read Kindles. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like libraries is literally like the Detroit Library. I'm trying to do it initiative right now to go and basically claim the library because Detroit Library, I seen pictures of it. They closed it up in 2000, I think, 11 or 10 or 9 or something. Right. 
and it's and it's it ain't changed since then. You got books thrown all over the library. Libraries all over the country closing. Like how can we how, how you how you let these niggas within eighty years the only right. what? My great grandmother just died, she ninety four. Right, blessed the dead. Her her grandmother, her mother then grew up in slavery. Right. Basically, her mother's mother basically grew up in slavery. If that's the case, right? How is it that we go from less than a hundred kids, niggas being killed for, for reading, to the point now where niggas is closing libraries because nobody's reading books? And then you wonder why this crackers is why why these devils is, is ruling because it's not even them; it's the people. Yeah, the people have allowed themselves to become the commodity that these crackers have said that they are. So you can't you can't you can't expect them to treat you like human when you don't act like one. Humans read books, man. Right. Humans comprehend shit. Humans have direct communication. We haven't had direct communication since the internet. Yeah. That's facts. That when facts. I was growing up, they told me technology was supposed to make my life easier. Hmm. I have yet to see a computer make my life easier. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm laughing because just just today, just just before the show, you hit me up like, "Yo, yo, I'm having trouble with the hangouts, man. Give me a call." <laughs> Can you call me? to elevate more. They don't nah. want to elevate. So we got to find other ways out. That's why, like I said, writing books, that's a way out. Right. Like, I blacked out writing that, man, to the point where I got to go back and read it because there's things in it where I was just so focused on finishing it. Yeah. And, and then once it finished more, once it finished, show you how this, this reality is hard on more. The sister that I got to edit the book. Fine. Everything fine. We speak. It's great. She edits books. This is what she do. No problem. Send her the book. Two weeks later, get a call. Sorry. I'm not going to be able to get it back as soon as I was going to get it to you because this person in my family died. This stopped happening in my life. The computer broke down. This, this, that. Mm. Like, it was like, yo. And I purposely didn't even tell her nothing about it. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. Just purposely, just to see. Yeah. No. Because when you're doing right in this reality, everything in this reality is going to test you to see if you're right. Yeah. Yeah, brother. Everything. And they don't write books about that. No. They don't tell you what it's like to actually, when you declare your nationality, what actually happens to you is that your 
physiology, your genealogy begins to change to match that of the day and the ill genetics that you are claiming now. That's why you can't even talk to certain people no more. Yeah. You never know as soon as you got your nationality and your independence and you live in your life, you're not even preaching to niggas. Then they just stop talking to you. Yep. <laughs> they disappear. They stop talking to you. They disappear. They start talking shit behind your back. Oh, he on that. Oh, he on this. Right? Yep. People in your family start acting crazy. Oh, you a Muslim now. Oh, you this now. Oh, you this. Oh, you that. Oh, you th-. They don't even know. They don't even know. They just know that something about you mm-hmm. done switched up. Yeah. And now the shit that used to, used to mean something to you with them don't. Right. And God forbid you do better or you know something that the niggas you came up with don't know. Oh my God, you don't want that. Right. Or what you think you smart now? Or what you think you got knowledge now? Or what you want some knowledge shit now? Or you want that black power shit now? You know what I'm saying? Like, this yeah. is, like where's the books on that? Where's the lectures right. on that? Yeah. On how to deal with that? Right. Yeah. That's what I want to see. It's Where, gonna, where's, the, where's the seminars on that, Mo? Mo, it, this don't come with no manual, Mo. It does. <laughs> there's no manual to this, fam. <laughs> you on your own. You got to figure this out. You on your own. Word, Mo, you on your own. The closest thing we got is a circle seven. Yes, sir. Niggas is hating. Yes, sir. Niggas is hating on that. You, you, you say, oh, you know, that, you know, he got that from a life is levy. Oh, did he? Well, where the life is levy get it from? Exactly. Okay. That's that from that. Where he get it from? Exactly. Oh, Pascal Beverly Randolph. Okay, the more.